From beyond the farthest reaches of our galaxy they come. Two brains pulsing with a strange energy. These space brains come to share their love of science fiction movies. Welcome to Space Brains, the show where we joy watch sci-fi movies and then talk about what was good and what was great. I'm Surrey and this is Mark. Hiya, it's episode 63 and we're talking about science fiction film 2067 made in 2020 or released in 2020. There's a lot of 20s, Surrey. Uh, in this episode, we'll reveal what we thought about the film, the ins and outs of narrative and film language, plus a deep dive into a specific piece of science that the filmmakers are proposing. This Australian sci-fi was written and directed by Seth Lani, and there's additional writing by Dave Patterson and Gareth Davies. Good old Dave O'Batterson, my buddy with Blunto and Lani. <laughs> all your mates, you know them all. All Sorry. my mates from down the pub. Down the so pump. this is your spoiler warning. Turn back now if you haven't morning, seen this morning, film. Morning. We're going to talk all about it and spoil it completely for you. Yeah, I'm going to ruin the whole thing right now by telling you that 2067 is a film. Go back, watch it, <laughs> join us again and hear what we have to say because it's an awesome film. It is. It's truly a visual spectacular that you must sit down and watch. I loved a lot about this film and I'll get to I'll get to it in a moment. But hey, what's the plot in 2067 there is no natural plants left on earth and the planet is dying along with humanity. There's also this kind of illness or the sickness I think they call it. And so with a last ditch effort to save the planet they send the son of a scientist who invented a time-travelling machine into the future to see if there's hope for humanity to survive. Like, how do we get to the future? How do we get there? And that's what this film questions and see if he can bring back a cure for this sickness. What was your number one takeaway of 2067, sorry? My number one takeaway of 2067 was that even in a future where the air is being run out and everyone is slowly suffocating and dying... The corporation that creates air is still squeezing for money and squeeze, profit. Squeeze, squeeze, <laughs> squeeze, squeeze. Isn't that just uh, what you'd expect? It's like, oh, oh, you need oxygen to live, do you? Well, if you want the good stuff, you've got to pay premium dollar. Are you telling me that a billionaire like Richard Branson would do this? Would he charge so much money, you know, people are starving and then he'd just go up for a little aeroplane ride and cost no, billions of dollars? he'd be on Mars. They wouldn't do that. Yeah, he'd be... Yeah, Musk, well, isn't old Musky, uh, your mate Musky going Muskie, to Mars? Musky, Brano, they all... Bezo, Bezo. all up there. <laughs> Bezo went up in the penis thing yeah, into I space. Can't, I can't believe it's such a cock-shaped rocket. I mean, rockets are already oh, no, pretty that one, like, it, Just add the little bit of balls at the bottom, I think. Just, oh, why not? It's just getting right up there in Mother Nature. Yeah, and I like that he said, "This we're doing this for the kids of tomorrow, not me. To, uh, to, <laughs> well, I mean, to be fair, I had to think about this. And this is something that oh, no. I did think about because... The internet crashed. People say on the internet, and 
you know, with, with some reason to <laughs> say it, that oh, you're spending billions of dollars to go for a joyride in space. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You should be solving world hunger. Mm. Except I can assure you that it's orders of magnitude simpler to put a rocket together and get into space than mm. it is to negotiate and deal with all of the social issues, all of the governments, all the different people. I mean, if it was just a matter of having a few billion dollars, the US GDP is in the trillions of dollars. Yeah, why not give everyone a few dollars? That, well, that's not going to help anyone. No. But if you're saying that $30 billion could solve world hunger, mm. then why doesn't the world's richest nation just do that? Mm. We'd be talking about like a, a mere fraction of the amount they spend on yeah. the military and apparently, according to these people, that we could solve world hunger. Yeah. It's obviously not that simple. No, it's not. But it's, not. it's actually not that hard to send someone up in a spaceship. <laughs> that that really is can be done by a company with some billions of dollars. Yeah, and, and I mean, to be honest, it's their money, right? They can do whatever the hell they well, want with it. There are advantages. The, the The advantages that come from this is, first of all, you get this sense of hope, like, you know, this uh, achievement. Mm. But then all of the artificial intelligence and guidance and yeah. program that went into get like a rocket that can go up and land itself and that yep. sort of thing, that's all progress and development. The material mm. science required to produce ever lighter, stronger, faster, better rockets. Mm. So it's not a complete waste. No. It is a bit, it is a bit sort of uh, what would have been better is if those three worked together on one project yeah. maybe that would have been a better use of the money and then, then competition have, right competition these guys are swinging dicks like well, it's you, a, yeah, you can say but does that make it a better result or does that yeah. just mean that you've got someone whoever's willing to cut the most corners is the one that will get <laughs> up like yeah because Branson got up there about two days before Bezo Be- Be- was it Bezo or Bezo whatever yeah. his name is like, it was like literally only a couple of days oh, like, and you know you know, you, you know they were like oh you just I took the, the headlines where they're saying yeah. how many days can we sh- shave off the safety testing yeah, and they're yeah. like oh okay Anyway, that's my number one. That's my number one takeaway. Even in a future uh, where the world is dying, there's still companies looking to get as much profit as possible. Yeah, Virgin Atlantic, (laughs) (laughs) Amazon, or or whatever it is. Well, well, you know, Amazon took the air out of their warehouses long ago. Oh yeah, just robots robots in there. (laughs) So, so tell me though. Is this a hope, a warning, or an experiment? Oh, this lovely story about us ruining the climate and just totally about to be extinct or literally becoming extinct is a a story of hope. hope. I know, spanner in the works, sorry. Um, The whole thing, I think, why it's hope is, yeah, you've got that awful setup. You've got your main protagonist, goes into the future, everything looks terrible, and then, hey, by just sending some plants back to the present, then the future becomes this kind of, you know, we're, we're going to live in trees, you know, like I love it. I love it. The end of this film is to me very, very hopeful. We all become part of Loth L'Oreal or whatever it is in Lord of the Rings. You know, yeah, like yeah. Tree home. That would be cool. We could be like little hermits in homes, yeah. But, it also, but And also even his best friend, I mean, like when, and we'll get into the details of this in a minute, but, you know, his brother friend archangel whatever you want to call it like he doesn't kill him he kills himself which is dark but he sacrifices himself so that then yeah the future is a bit more beneficial so the the hope on that also is free will yeah because this question i think uh, i spoke about with the terminator where 
do you really have the free will? Like, or is, yeah, yeah, all the robots just are coming you anyway. Stuck in a time loop. Like, if, <laughs> if something has happened, will it always happen? Yes. Is it possible to have a variation in that? Hmm. And so it was a nice bit of hope there that yes, in fact, you do have control over your own fate. And they they did it very well. They did they they did I think a really good job of that hope building hope. So tell me a story. Sorry, how did you watch this film? Use my eyeballs. And what was your impression through your eyeballs of twenty sixty seven? Watching this film, I watched this film. I went onto the train. Ooh. It was pissing down rain initially. Yeah. Uh, in fact, it was. It you rained. had Atmos. <laughs> yeah, so I, I had my, my earphones in there. I was, I was feeling quite um, antisocial as mm. usual. It's a, it's a train. I mean, what am I supposed to do? Dance with people? Who talks like, on the train? That would be kind of cool, actually, dancing with people. People do do that, weirdos. Yeah, weirdos. <laughs> but, Not uh, us sci fi types. <laughs> I was on the train. I was watching it there, so I had a very immediate in my head. And the impressions I got were that uh, you, you've got such beautiful contrasts of color and design in this mm. film the claustrophobia of the tunnels at the starting yeah uh, along then with the cityscape which was dark down the bottom and dingy and you know there wasn't a lot of light and life but people, people were still struggling on artificial then, lighting yeah yeah he he gets up into the oxygen generating company place and it's all it looks like it's been designed by Apple. Yeah, Google. Only, it's one of those Google places. Yeah, it's all again. smooth and white with little blue <laughs> trim lighting and it's quite beautiful. I, maybe I should make my kitchen look like that. And then he gets to the forest and it's all green and lush mm. and, you know, hopeful and joyous, yeah. but then turns dark despite retaining its beautiful colour. Yeah. So that, that sort of went through there. It was also a, a very emotional film. Um there's a few spots there where I just about shed a tear. Ooh, <laughs> the Surrey tearometer. Yes, I don't have tear ducts, so it's actually physically impossible for me to mm. shed a tear. Yeah. But I would have had I tear ducts. Mm. Yes, and yourself, how did you watch this film? What what? I, I did. Uh, yeah, I did a bit of a split viewing. I, I I watched most of it on a laptop, and then and then I saw a fair bit of it on the big screen, which was cool. Um, to me, it was the visual medium of it and that hope message coming through, I think, made me feel quite positive. I, to me, climate change is very important. I don't think I really gave much of a shit about it until I had kids. Um, but it is also one of these things that when I started looking into climate change about 12 or so years ago, that... You know, it felt, you know, like you, you kind of learn stuff and you kind of go, yeah, I'm going to go do this. And then a couple of years later, you're like, it's still the same. Like nothing has really changed, you know, and yeah. you kind of find yourself. And I think that's the thing with climate change is that you kind of feel a bit hopeless at times about it. So it's nice to get a feeling of possible hope. I think this film also makes me feel like it's extremely real. Like when you talk about 2067, I've, I've heard stories about you can't take an audience too far into the future. And when you think about this film, it, it did take us a long way, actually, 2067, but it didn't feel too abstract. And that's a bit scary, sorry. Mm. And I think it doesn't feel too abstract because we're all talking about the climate. You get these headlines. I know the other day the scientists were saying, there was some sort of headline where the scientists were sort of saying, oh, we kind of feel like... 2030 is now like the crossover point like after that's too late and then you hear another headline where it's like 
we've already crossed over that CO2 level that we shouldn't have ever crossed over, 400 milligrams per ounce yeah. of air or something, whatever it was. They predicted that wouldn't happen to like 2050 and it's already happened. You know, so, so you kind of can feel very down and this film does that, but then it kind of gives you a sense of hope. I also think it's very real that we may become extinct as humans and the planet just reinvigorates itself. Eventually we will become extinct as humans. It's inevitable. Well, it will, yeah. And I mean, you know, you've seen this thing where we are only a little scratch on the time frame of the Earth's lifespan. Dinosaurs, which became extinct, were here for millions of years. We've only been here, you know, 100,000 years or whatever, something like that, whatever, right? Depends on how you count it. Yeah, who knows? There's someone important there along the clock range, isn't there, apparently, whatever that is. But yeah, I think there is a funny feeling that this film gives me, really. It Mm, feels close to home. I think what I like when you're talking (laughs) about the hope of this is that we talk about time travel films and they go, there's a short story, uh, short story was The Sound of Thunder. Yep. Where guy goes back in time, steps on butterfly, comes back to the future, radically changed. Yes. So we all know the danger of if you go back in time and just change even a small detail, mm. expand it out over a long period, you get a big change. Mm. But we seem to lose sight of the fact that that counts for, like today is the past of yeah. some distant future. Yes. And in this, 2067 was the past of 2400. Yep. Uh, and in 2400, it's all green and beautiful. Yes. And what little change happened was that humans died. Yeah. And it took 400 years and you got this big change. Yeah. So I, I don't think we should have humans die to solve our air <laughs> problems. Um, that's probably going yeah, to the further cave, than yeah. it needs to go. <laughs> yeah. But what it does mean, though, is, yeah, we can take hope from this film that, yeah, you do a small thing. You put solar panels on and yeah. you think, oh, I'm just one tiny thing. But it could well be that in 200 years' time, people mm. looking back and going, you know what really turned the corner? Was when when, Surrey put solar panels well, not, on not his Not Surrey, but, <laughs> but you know, when, when the individuals at home started doing these one or two yeah. things because you've got seven, eight billion people on the planet, mm. each person does one little thing, yeah, you know, and then it cascades. Snowballs, doesn't it? Yeah. And then, yeah, yeah 100 years' time things are starting to look pretty good for those people, yeah. which doesn't help us much, I suppose you could say. But if we're going to be more sort of uh, larger in our scope of humanity, then yes, <laughs> it's great. It definitely is. Why is this film a sci-fi? Sorry. <laughs> Why is this film? This film is a sci-fi because, as we like to say, it explores some... Uh, fictionalization or speculation of a scientific principle or multiple scientific principles in this case and going further than that it's it's a core item within the narrative like you could not mm. tell the story without having this speculative science yeah. in it it's a hypothesis isn't it yes it's, we're, we're, we've got to have some sort of um, yeah what if what if all life started to die out what yeah. if all the planets plants died that's a really obvious way and then humans along with it. Humans would be next, yeah. But then what if we had uh, a way of going far enough into the future? Yeah. Uh, uh, where where we found that things were better. Mm. So what what comes out of that? Yeah. And this story here, it has a lot of human elements to it. There's a lot of personal tragedy, 
tragedy yeah. and, and relationships and trust issues and so forth, which all get resolved and yeah. deal here. But ultimately, they stem from and are caused by and are interrelated with this time travel and oxygen problem. Mm. Yeah. yeah, the fact that the scientist, uh, Ethan's dad, creates this this time travel thing with the idea that maybe we can learn what people in the future have done to fix this. Yeah. And, you know, that couldn't, you know, what else could you do there? You know, more than that, he gets a message back from the future, which mm. convinces him to do something with his son. So you get this reverse, but it turns out it's his son who sends that message back. Yeah. And so you get this reverse causal effect thing that the, the reason he sends his son through is because his son was sent through and told him to send him through. Yeah, which goes back to like Ooh. the Terminator idea of if John... How, how, how could John send someone back, John Connor send back a soldier when who becomes his father when he... <laughs> Yeah, it still does my head in, doesn't it? It's like, how how does John Connor grow up to be the soldier to send back another soldier to save his mum when that soldier is also his father? Yeah, it's... it's like, like, who started that loop? It's spontaneous generation, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I know. Yeah. And, that's, and that's wonderful. And this, this film here explores S- that question. Do we have the free will? Is time written in yeah. stone? Uh, and... It does this. Yeah, I think that's one of the things that this film does extremely well. Mm. Uh, the visual effects, as I said, and I think the coloration and you know some of the some of the drama set up. But in particular, because I'm a sciencey sort of guy, I really love the way that this film examined that free mm. will compared to set history dilemma. Definitely, definitely. Uh, so, what was speaking of the science? Which part of the science did you happen to like? I liked the oxygen running out. So I think this idea of that no more trees, you know, we joked about it. The last tree was logged on planet Earth. Logged. We, we uh, hear that in the opening sequence of this film. Um, and it's so simple, yet it kind of feels like humanity may sort of do this to ourselves. Yeah, I know. <laughs> like, you get old, like, old Jono sitting there in the Brazilian rainforest with his chainsaw. Just looking cutting at, down the last tree. He must know it's... It's if he doesn't know it's exactly the last tree, he's going to be looking around. There's no forest anywhere mm. to the horizon. Yeah, and he's not seen a forest anywhere for ages. He yeah. sees a tree there, and he's got himself a chainsaw. He's like, "Yeah, those matchsticks aren't going to make themselves." <laughs> That's right. You know, and it, but it, I, and I said this to you as well. Like it reminds me of the Doctor Seuss, the Lorax, uh, simil- very similar premise. Not the time traveling bit, but definitely that idea of like cutting down all the trees, manufacturing them into something. And I can't, I can't remember if you know, if you're out there and you know the lorax, tell me the name of what I've, I've forgotten what it is. But like they make something out of the trees, you know, the fiddle sticks or something. And uh, you just said matchsticks. It's the same sort of thing. It's like inventing, creating something crazy out of trees. And then of course you get to the point where there's no more trees. And and um, in that story, as the trees get cut down, it's oh now there's no more. You know, the the bears come and complain, and there's no because there's nowhere for them to shelter. And then the and then because you cut it all down, the rivers get polluted and then the fish all die and the fish come and complain and the lorax keeps going until there's nothing left. And uh, so, I don't know, this film, this setup, I'm probably already leaning, it's a pretty despairing setup, but it, to me, the science of us getting to a point where we have no oxygen and we are all got masks 
um, and we're breathing, you know, like, oh, these, these are, <laughs> this, is how, this is how you survive. You need a mask, you know. Uh, it's very real to me, that science. Like, I don't think it's that far-fetched. You know, it's, it's not. You can imagine a a tipping point. I mean, some of the weather we've been having. Yeah, that's that's a bit scary. Like, yeah, here locally, we have an extreme weather. We had the wettest July mm. of what twenty six years or whatever it is. Yep. Like, uh, which is crazy because normally we have here particularly long dry spells. Like, it's yeah, yeah. we're renowned for having great stretches of sunshine. Like, yeah. the, I, I was reading because I was looking at into solar panels. Yeah. Uh, I'm building a house. I'm going to put solar panels on the roof. Yeah, yeah. I went, yeah, what sort of return do I get? And we get an average of five and a half sunny day, sunny hours per day mm. over the year. So that's not like five and a half hours sunny during summer. Yep. That's every day, winter, summer, yep. the whole like five and a half sunny days, uh, sunshine hours, I should say. Five and a half sunshine hours every day. Yep. Which, that's incredible. So you can imagine then that requires a lot because we do have these rainy days with a heavy yeah. cloud cover. It does require then long stretches of long days with no clouds and sunny, mm. and to have these this is what we've had this past month. But but it's, uh, it's crazy. And I think if you and we're not going to do it here, but if you go to somewhere like the Bureau of Meteorology and stuff and look at averages and all that sort of stuff, right now we're having like the wettest July as you just said for thirty years or something, right? But then come summer we'll have the driest summer on record compared to last year mm. and last year beat the record of the year before or two years before that. And so what to me, and I'm, and we notice is that we had the, those massive bushfires happening in Australia a couple of years ago or last year actually in COVID sort of took away those headlines right now. Canada is having the biggest bushfires they've ever experienced. Oh, they've had temperatures right? up of 46, yeah. 47 degrees. Australian firefighters are going over there. Right. So it's like, uh, California last year had bushfires that ravaged, you know, those sort of celebrity homes and stuff. But it was, again, it's, it was the biggest bushfires California had, had ever had. And I'm sure across the globe, it seems that the weather pattern is becoming more on the extreme ends. Yes. Like I can't, you know, I'm not a scientist. I'm not a, a meteorologist in that way. But it's pretty evident that you can sort of say are the extreme days or records seem to be being broken continuously. Yeah, the, the you know, it's not, getting closer. It's not just like, oh, yeah. today's the hottest day ever, you know, for 80 years, and it's that's the news headline for today, and then that's it. Oh, but then tomorrow's hotter again. Yes. <laughs> and, and, and then it's not. And then it's like when we get to winter, it's we've just had the wettest July that we've ever had. So you have flooding, Yeah. you know, and then you go, but then there's no rain for... August, September, October, November, you know, like, yeah. And so then we're the driest record on ever, you know. It's like all the extremities seem to be getting bigger and bigger. And you do get a lot of naysayers. And, I mean, the beautiful thing in a country like Australia in terms of science is that the Bureau of Meteorology is already 100 years old. So they've got records that are over 100 years old now. And so anyone that kind of doubts the science, you go go check out their records. Yeah, you know, like, find the people you'll see. The science at this point of the day <laughs> have got in their mind that the data is not reliable. Yeah, I know, I know, I know. So, I know. Which it's, I, it's like it's talking like, about vaccines and stuff, you know, but I mean, I'm just mm. saying like anyone, there is people that are climate change denialists. It's like, fair enough. I, I'm all in, everyone has their own opinion, but with something like the weather, you can, in a country like Australia, every country is obviously different, 
A country like Australia, we now have like records that go back 120 years that have formally been recorded. Mm. So you can go and check out records. So if anyone says, oh, it's not that bad or it's not that extreme, you go, okay, well, go check out the records, literally. Go look at them. <laughs> I, I think, that, as I said, the people who would actually do that have done that by yeah, now. I know. And now we're down to the people who, with their fingers in their ears, going, nanny, nanny, yeah. nanny, nanny. <laughs> what, my toddlers? Yeah, You're, my toddlers. No, those scientists are just trying to make a buck. They've gone back and doctored all those records. You're like, oh. <laughs> I know. Okay, I, know. I yeah, guess. Yeah. The scientists got, from 100 years ago doctored the records from 100 years ago. better to do, but yeah. okay. So let's talk about but what's going to happen on a sunny day in Mandra. Sunny Mandra. In May 2022. Science Fiction Film Festival. We've got the Space Brains. It's the first one. We're super pumped. Uh, we've been getting lots of great little short films entered uh, through and film. And a feature free- film. And I was just going to say, and a feature film so far. It'd be great to get a couple of more features in there. Um, yeah, I was super pumped. Also, I can people, a couple of people I know in the film world have said to me they're making stuff. So I just encourage anyone out there who has a love for sci-fi, and if you would like your film shown at a red carpet event with a live audience of a, big of, screen, a of a over 100 system. people yeah. and we will be there talking about it so you know come on <laughs> celebrities uh that will be there but it's uh it's uh, going to be a sensational night and yeah please make a sci-fi and enter it and what kind of categories are there sorry oh there's things like best director best actor best actor like male female <laughs> <laughs> uh, best youth or student uh, we've got local and Australian and international uh, categories we do we do I and think, yeah. I think it's like 12 categories so we haven't gone over the top no nope. we've kind of covered the important bases we there. have and it's a real festival in person you know hopefully COVID doesn't ruin it or anything but you know it'll be happening in Mandra at our beautiful Mandra Performing Arts Centre at the Fish Trap Theatre as I said, over 140 seats, I think, in there. And, uh, yeah, it'll be a live audience watching your film if you get selected. So make it, enter it. We're still in the early bird stage. I believe that goes all the way to August 2020, 2021. <laughs> the <end of laughs> Last year? No, no. August 2021 is the early bird on Film Freeway. After that, it's still pretty cheap. But, yeah, if you want to get in now, it's, it's a little bit cheaper. Okay. Uh, let's get stuck in the film. Yeah. So 2067 was directed and written by Seth Larney, uh, and it had additional writing by Dave Patterson and Gareth Davies. A um, couple of them big actors, Cody Smith McPhee plays Ethan, our, our protagonist, and Ryan Quanton plays the... I was a bit confused exactly what this guy was. Was he his brother? Was he his friend? Was he his colleague? Or was sort it of all of the above? Yeah, brother. doctor brother. Yeah. Um, and Deborah Mailman kind of plays the head of, oh, what were they called? Chronic, Chronicle or Chrony? Something. Uh, I think I did write it down. I'll come back to it. Bad Guy Corp. This was filmed in South Australia, predominantly funded by uh, the Screen Australia, South Australian Film Commission and also um, this Adelaide Film Festival, another film festival. Great. F- funding feature films. Maybe Space Brains will do that one day. God, I hope so. I hope so too. Um, not sure about the box office. I, I couldn't get any records on that, sorry. So I'm sorry to let everyone down on that. But I would say the budget of this film probably was around the pretty standard for Australian, something like about $4 million. 
um, and which I know for our US listeners will be shocked that we make films that cheaply, but we do that look this good. Uh, but um, and, and it did have a small cinema release, and then I think it, I believe it went on to iTunes first up, and it was a number one on iTunes for a couple of weeks, and then it sort of went on to other streaming platforms. So we'd have to get Netflix on. Maybe one day we can have Netflix on Space Brains telling us all about numbers and box oh, office. I'd love to hear about we, we can more get about into. how that works. Yeah, yeah. So that's something if you, Netflix, you're listening. We love a lot of the films you're putting out there, especially sci-fi. Um, and maybe we know you, wanna, you are listening. And we know you listen to us because we hashtag Netflix. <laughs> and that's all they care about, sorry. But yeah, we can get them on one day, hopefully, and uh, and they can let us know about that. But maybe even Seth, Seth, if you're out there listening, Come on, let's talk about 2067. I want to say that this film is visually beautiful. Uh, I, I think his digital effects come into play. I was just watching a bit about Steven Spielberg and CGI being birthed with Jurassic Park and and um, the guys that actually created that sort of blowing um, Spielberg's pants off, literally just this is like a CGI dinosaur and him realising he could make Jurassic Park. So if you fast forward 30 years from Jurassic Park into something like this, the effects are amazing. But they're twofold amazing. It's not only those CGI moments, it's also sets. Like The sets were built really beautifully. It's always my favourite when when the director and the art crew... What are they called? Set designers and so on. Yeah, set design. They managed to get that really good... Um, mix of they the do, two, yeah, where you, yeah. particularly where you you don't know whether mm. it's CG or yeah, whether yeah. it's real. Yeah, uh, Iron Mother famously did this with. Yeah, yeah. They had real um, the bunker, for example. They actually built that bunker. Yeah, around yeah. The bunker was real with real lighting in the bunker, so yeah. they didn't have to shift lights around the place. Mm. Uh, that, however, included shots of Mother the robot, mm. which was a real suit. But there were scenes with the little toddler walking around where they, the toddler was terrified of their suit. And fair enough. So they actually yeah. had the mother, the toddler's actual mother, walking hand in just hand with the toddler it, yeah. through there. And then they just CG'd a robot over top. And it, you can't tell. No. It looks just like the suit. It does. You, you can't tell that mm. they've got CG over top of a real mother to make mother. Well, I'll tell you in this, and you might have, you're exactly pointing it out. Like when they sort of walk through the jungle and they see the city. You you notice they walk over stones that are broken, concrete. There's concrete that's kind of broken and there's trees growing out. And then we see there's obviously it's a CGI broken city, you know, that's been overgrown with nature. I'm I'm pretty sure they didn't build a full scale. No, but the thing was it was done very seamlessly that they're sort of stepping over rocks and, and broken blocks really big chunks of concrete. Mm. So they've obviously dumped some bits in that bit of natural landscape. And and that's exactly what you're saying, that kind of mix between the two. And I, I think that works really well. Likewise, when they look at the city, you can you can see that when they sort of look up at the city and there's space, um, I was going to say spaceships, but vehicles that fly and stuff and bridges. You can see that, that well, they would not have built that, but half of the ground and the tunnel that they're in is all built. So it's real mixed with that CGI, and I think that's always very impressive. Um, it's also this story, before we get just stuck into it, it's a father-son story in a way. So yeah. you mentioned that emotional beat. Like, there's definitely Ethan and his father, he has a big issue with his father, and yet his father 
the scientist is so pivotal to the plot, you know. And then when you throw in uh, Jude, Ryan Quentin's sort of character that he was sort of thrust in as a adopted older brother or angel to look after him or whatever, like there's also that. There's sort of like that, are you really my brother or not? And so, you know, there's a good emotional primal arc to this story. Yeah, and and the the wife Xanthi who yeah. he clearly holds a an emotional connection between her the situation that he has with her and his dad and mum the fact that his mum died because mm. dad wasn't there mm. and yeah so you get these echoes back which yeah. is almost again a time travel yeah like it's almost simile, a loop isn't you know? it yeah it's yeah an, an yeah. analogy where where his father leaving the mum and then the mum dies mm. is the future or the past version, sorry, of, uh, you know, um, Ethan and his wife and Ethan yeah. goes off and he finds his wife's skeleton. Yeah. Yeah, it's, 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 quite, um, it's quite full of those moments where people are lost or feel abandoned or uh, discover something heartbreaking about life. Definitely, definitely. So there's a good dramatic primal element to this story. So let's get into it. Um, we're going to be breaking down the narrative a little bit differently tonight. I want to break it into sort of some of those key narrative points, sorry, as we go through as well. Um, and we'll sort of be trying to do a bit more of this continuously in future episodes, but maybe a little bit tighter. Um, so really what we always say at the start of the narrative is there's a bit of a setup. So the setup of this film, we do have this like globe turning, the earth turning in space. You can see as it starts turning, uh, countries are on fire and then they kind of are extinguished as the globe keeps turning. We get a voiceover of all like newsreels, same as last week with the film, we're doing exactly the same, you know, the setup of the story. These newsreels, however, are not talking about an alien invasion, they're talking about the, the planet kind of dying, basically the last tree logged fires, cities losing contact with other cities, um, countries kind of disappearing. Going dark. Going dark, as they say. So, again, we don't really know much about that. And we end up on one final light in sort of the middle of Australia, I think. Somewhere Western Australia or yeah, maybe Alice Springs of, or something. Yeah, like something like that. But you sort of it's see pretty, it. It's pretty remote. It's pretty remote. Um, and that's why it surprised me then when we sort of jumped into there. There was actually this city, I suppose, existing. Um, but yeah, we go in and we're told it's the year 2067. It's the year title of the film. <laughs> uh, we've got Ethan White, who's a tunnel worker and he's working for this kind of power plant with his friend. Um, they are working on the nuclear power plant. <sighs> for this city and it seems to be in self-destruct mode uh but they're pretty casual about it's, it they're having counting a, down to the end of time and yep. and they're just having a conversation about what they're going to do after work it's a they're not worried about their future they've they've done this before this is not a new situation the their life and their world is in on the brink so this it's a great setup because by showing that you don't have to have a lot of time spent indicating or showing how bad the world is or how no. bad the situation is, clearly by the, the casual nature of working next to a melting-down fusion reactor, <laughs> that you know, they get down to the last couple of seconds before pulling the lever and it all works. 
their life is uh, touch and go at every moment. It is, and they banter about it. They kind of joke about it almost. So, but they do it, um, and then when they when they they fix it, the reactor is fine. The city goes on breathing. Uh, they then are kind of being medically checked, scanned. I think for this illness mm. thing that is sort of mentioned. Uh, one of the other workers, not these two, mentions that he can't come in for his shift tomorrow, and Ethan volunteers to take it. And there's a little bit of a scuffle about it, but he's like, no, I'll take it, I'll take it. If you don't want it, I'll take the money kind of thing. Um, they then, Ethan and uh, Jude, walk through the city, and we, this is where we get a glimpse. There's flying vehicles, it's got huge skyscrapers, there's uh, over over bridges between places, but most, as far as you can see, people are wearing masks, breathing operations. Um, there's a nice little touch here of someone sort of preaching, you know, the sort of end of the... In, no in, air, there's no there's fire. No, yeah, there's no air, there's no fire. Which I, I like the like the symbolism of that being yeah. like the fires and there's no hope for humanity, there's yes. no spark of life, which he then takes it to the point of setting himself on fire, which again... Ethan and and Jude just kind of walk past. They yeah, don't, they don't they really don't, acknowledge so it. So this is again, it's like we can see right up. This is a, a world that is that it's just about to implode. Mm, like, yeah. and everyone has become used to that. Yeah, they're 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 just used to the idea that everything could and will end. But they always do have that hope. I mean, that's why they fix the power plant. Yeah, for example, and why. Uh, Ethan comes back to his wife with a new mask, mm. even though she's got the sickness. She has the sickness. And, yeah, she, you know, that's a nice little scene with her. You realise Ethan, you know, he does love her. He does care for her. He's got all these masks on the wall. He talks about buying, saving enough money um, to get her a new machine. Um, but, obviously, she's not doing well. So, it's a great, that to me is the setup of the film. So, you know, we're in the future, it's very bleak, it's a dark kind of cruel world, there's not enough oxygen, his wife is sick, he needs as much money as possible to help her, it's a pretty good setup. there's a lot of problems that Ethan is facing. But, but what happens next, sorry, with the inciting incident is that he's called into uh, Crony Corp, into yeah, he's dragged into Crony Corp, Crony Corp, and we meet Regina Jackson, who is played... Oh, Deborah. Deborah. Good old oh, Deborah. Debs. Great Australian actress. Been so many different Australian TV and, and films. She's fantastic. A bit of an icon. She plays Regina Jackson. She's got a cool wig. Like it's a blonde streak kind of wig, which really makes her look a little bit alien. I, As you mentioned, like this is a bit of a and stuff. It, Apple Apple world, isn't it? It's well, a bit I, of got, a, I got throwbacks to like, um, uh, what's that? Catching Fire, Mockingjay, Hunger Games. Oh, yeah, Hunger yeah, Games. Like yeah, Hunger yeah. Games that sort of had these sort of decadent mm. sort of future clothes. And they did, yep. And hair, doing things unusual. Yeah. Uh, and I, I, I like that everyone else, like the workers down the street, were all grimy and grungy. Yeah. And here she is in something that's clearly high fashion, mm. not just utilitarian like other people are wearing. Yeah, they quite often in these films, like Demolition Man did it, don't they? didn't they? It's like... It's like everything is clean, white, sophisticated. You know, a bit, uh, a bit. Yeah, the hair is kilted or tilted to a different side. The the uniforms look a little bit more polished, and yet then out in society, people can't eat. 
But that's what we're like right now. I mean, you know, we joked about Rich and Branson before. I mean, it's the same thing. So someone can go into space while someone else can't eat. Like, so maybe it's not that foreign, but it's just the way it is here. So uh, this, she reveals that that there is a uh, the sickness. Sorry, she will reveal that the sickness will wipe out humanity, and they have this machine that her he does she I think does she reveal it's his father made the machine or something I think she might yeah I, um, I, I have a feeling that Ethan already yeah, yeah. Uh, anyway yeah it was actually re- and so he, he, she reveals that he made this prototype time machine and that he'd worked on it and it can go into the future 407 years and they'd sent a ping yep and it came back not with the oxygen level or whatever it was supposed to come back with but it had been overwritten and the message was up on the screen. Send, send Ethan, Ethan White, White, which is Ethan. <laughs> and so, so that's clearly now that's talk about an inciting incident. That's like, yeah. So we've got a time machine. That's cool. Yeah. That's that's great. What does it have to do with me? Yeah. Like, what does this care? Oh, because it's send Ethan White. It's asking for you. So to you've got come. this very powerful organization mm. that has stole him off the street to yep. do this. Yeah, yeah. And they said basically, well, it's send Ethan White. We. That's what we're going to do. Yeah. So his now debate is, well, should he do it or should he not do it? Because he's here. He's got his wife. She's very sick. If he goes, there's a lot of danger. And, and, And there's a great debate here because it's very clear. It's like, if you go, you might die. If you use the machine, we don't exactly know if we can get you there. We're going to sort of, I think the words are, we're going to slingshot you. <laughs> chuck you there. We're going to chuck you there. And because, because we're sending you blind without yeah. the other machine on, or the same machine at the other end turned yeah. on, yeah. Uh, you could end up in a mountain or a, another yeah. object. So we're going to aim a bit high, high is what yeah. they explain. <laughs> so, but it's a really clear sort of, uh, you know, like, oh, the dangers involved in this decision. You know, yeah. like if you and, go, you're pretty slim that you'll survive it's probably a one-way trip yeah and you're not going to come back your wife's going to be stuck here um but if you do go and actually get a cure well then you could come back and save your wife you know yes so that's the payoff um interesting enough xanthia's wife says that he should go nice. and the ethan also says he should go uh, jude jude says he should go jude ethan, sorry ethan says uh he doesn't want to do what his dad did and Leave that's right, leave his wife. uh, That's going to end up with Xanthi dying and all the rest of it. And he's not here for her, like you can easily see this is this is straight up debate here. Like, people and and there's good reasons to go, but Mm. emotionally, uh, he should stay. He obviously does go because it would be a pretty short film otherwise. We, We have then also, before breaking into him deciding to go, we have the first flashback of his father yeah, yes. and it's sort of like his father's a bit of an asshole, and yeah, he's, a, he's a bit distant he, his and dad was a bit shonky wasn't he yeah so it, it, the very first ver, 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 you know flash we have of it you know and then this is Xanthia says you know you should go and he's like well I don't want to leave you my father left us and if he'd only stayed and is this he could where we have see the, the pain box no, it's not quite here no, yet. Yeah, yeah. Ones. But it's... <laughs> happy birthday, son. Happy I think birthday, I'm going to take this opportunity as a father. That's <laughs> a future prison. <laughs> Give you a pain box. Yeah. Open... Put your hand in that box, son. <laughs> Do you know, you know how you like reading that book, Dune? By yeah. Frank, yeah. <laughs> I got you a pain box. <laughs> yeah. Great, Dad. That'll, I'll, I'll put that next to the demon summoning puzzle box you got me from. <laughs> That's right. 
Clive Barker, like, <laughs> or whatever. So he does he decide to do it? Sorry, or is it the end of the movie? It's not a short film; it's a full feature length. So he does. Ah, he decides. So this is what we call breaking into he, two. And he he has the condition. He says, "Okay, but even if I only get one dose of the cure, it goes yeah. to my wife first. That's right. He does. So he, that's his one condition, and that's fine. And again, the villain, the bad guy, or woman in this case, Regina Jackson, says, sure, she can have the dose. <laughs> yeah, no worries, mate. Do, no, you do all you like. You do that, whatever you want with that one dose. I don't care. And so he goes through the machine. And I liked this, how they sent him through the machine. As we said, they were aiming high. Um, it was done very cleverly because unlike, you know, like if you do think about something like The Beyond where we have this long flash or even interstellar, there's kind of transportation. Here it happened really quickly, didn't it? The machine is a cool machine. Mm. It's red-eyed again. Yes. Which I thought, oh, is it, you know, it's not a, it's a bit, bit ominous. It's got a big red eye. Uh, it does it zappy and there's a bit of lightning and stuff, but it's a pretty cool physical time machine. He has to also wear a suit, um, which is... It's a bit is, reminiscent really of the TV show, the time tunnel. Yeah. If you remember that, which was kind of this tunnel with a swirling effect that people yeah, would go around. Yeah. Stargate is another TV show, isn't it? It's sort of that alien um, thing that they discovered and they can walk through a bubbly wall he's, sort of thing. And he's got his suit and he has Archie, which is his little PDA, yeah. which uh, somehow transmits data back or something. I wasn't yeah. clear on that exactly, no. but... Uh, it was like a little PDA, basically, yeah. a little, little healthy assistant yeah. person. Siri. Siri, Siri yeah, in the future. Hey, Archie, <laughs> said, hey Archie, do this for me. And, and, yeah. would. Uh, and then he, and he gets strapped into like a little rockety, packety thing. Yeah. And there's a second suit, but that's not ready yet. It's not ready yet. Uh, which, you know, obviously it's going to be ready sometime pretty soon because mm. why would you introduce a second suit? And they can only, the rule of the game here as well is they, they can only create enough energy really to send one person into the future and then that's kind of it. And that they sort of wouldn't want to try it again. No, because it does zap up a lot of the city's energy. It's basically going to cause a blackout <laughs> across the city. So he goes through and it's done really, as I said, it's, it's cool how he's flashed forward in time and he kind of then is falling through trees, lands in this beautiful green forest. He's on fire. He's got to kind of rip the suit off. And so therefore, and that's a great... Um, Plot point, isn't it? Uh, yeah. Sorry, because what's the point of the suit being damaged? Uh, uh, it's clearly his transition into the new world. Yeah, but there's no way back, right? Yes. Like he's got, he's got, he's the suit sort of protecting him. He can't just like jump back. And I mean, tunnels and portals are often used. Like, I mean, you think of like Narnia mm. and through the Looking Glass. Yeah, but the DeLorean as well, right? Like the DeLorean, he doesn't have the fuel source. Like, there's no way to go back now. It's like a, it's a one way ticket. It's moving from his his first world, which is mm. all those problems. Yeah, he's now transported magically into this new realm mm. where, and, and this one actually uses like a portal. Yeah, uh, Spider Man, for example, he gets bitten by a spider and he wakes up and he's all yeah. freaky. So he's been transported into this new world, and and it's fun and games. Everything's different. Mm, yeah, the whole, all the rules are different. Everything yeah. plays differently or seems to anyway. Yeah. and uh, and there was that. That, that movie we watched back, uh, you know, uh, woman with Reaper disease, she had to go find dude and she's like fighting the Glaswegian punks in some oh, sort of yeah, future yeah, yeah. city. And then they go through the, the, 
underground tunnel and come out the other side and they're in like King Arthur's realm. Mm, Yeah. You know, it's it's just, it's a, sometimes it's a very literal portal that people go through to get to this stage and sometimes it's, it's a metaphorical one. This one is quite literal in that he's there and he's, and the lighting is different. Everything is mm. all bright. It's bright. He takes it's his green. first breaths and he has yeah. trouble. He coughs a bit at first. Though, yeah, I think yeah. probably because it's so much oxygen. <laughs> it's too good. It's too good oxygen. And it's all green and it's sunlight and it's it's nice. It's not an ominous, foreboding, scary rainforest. No. It's like a jungle no. with possibly dangerous snakes and spiders. No. Although no. if it's up in Queensland... It genuinely it probably, probably does. has some <laughs> yeah. very threatening snakes and yeah. spiders. But it's not that jungle in this story. But it's not that real. No. And, and, and in reality, I mean, people live in jungles all the time. Yeah, it's not right. really a big problem. But it's it's a beautiful, it's almost like a magical forest, you know. It's, yeah. It's um, it's a bit like the the 100 when they land on the Yeah, that's true, yeah. And they come out and they're expected to just die when they open the doors. Yeah. <laughs> and it's this wonderland forest. Yeah. It reveals itself a bit later on. Yeah. But, yeah. but in this case, fun and games in the forest... So he uses his little Archie, um, who can't get a satellite, which I was a bit like, yeah, there's no satellite, <laughs> but can't get a satellite. Well, that's a bit of a warning sign because yeah, you like, people, you're like, mm, mm, like okay. Archie, Siri, you're not working properly anymore. Well, there's no satellites here, buddy. I can't work. But they very cleverly, it does a um, thing into the ground, right? Yeah, like it yeah. jumps into the ground and does a like metro. Like foot in the way. Yeah, or something. And uh, so it digs in and it realizes and it says, yeah, follow me. There's a bunker. And he, so he, we see him, he gets to walk through this jungle a bit and it's a beautiful, lush, green jungle. And he comes across, yeah, this concrete sort of door structure and there's a skeleton. And I really liked this because straight away this kind of changed, I felt, that like it made me go, ooh, where's this story going to go yeah, now? Because the, the skeleton is who, sorry? It's, well, it's Ethan White himself. It's him. Because he, well, it's, it's nice, I like this, so... He, he looks and sees it's dead and there's plants growing through it. So it's been mm. dead for a while. Yeah. And he looks at the collar. It says yeah, Ethan White. Says his name. He's, oh, no. He sees the bullet hole in the skull. Yeah, it's got a clear bullet and hole. Then, and then, like, okay, so you're still thinking, could have just been some other dude wearing that yeah, suit? Yeah, could have chucked it on. But no, then he finds the, the wrist collar DNA sampler device, the pain box wristband that he yeah. got. Yeah. And that's like the only person in the world who has one of those is mm. Ethan. So it's it's quite convincingly, yeah. Ethan's skeleton. It is, and he so he breaks the arm off. Yes, and so he's got it. And the the only difference between this arm bracelet to the one that he's got on his arm uh, is that it's green. It's got a green light, whereas green light. his one has a red light. And so he's like, oh, he's a bit confused about that. And then he also finds Archie, and it's exactly the same. It's just weathered, a lot older, uh, and he presses, you know, like, play last thing, and it it starts to play this distorted message, two men yelling and arguing, and then there's a gunshot. And so he knows that that's him dying. Um, So it's a very good plot point as well, I think, that, because it's kind of saying, well, if he carries on his path, that's probably his future. At some point soon, he's going to get shot. And this is great because we're still, as an audience, also thinking that, you know, someone in the future has called for him. Like, why did they call for Ethan? And then he's come here to the future and he can't see anyone. He he hasn't found anyone yet, but they're probably lurking in the... I kept thinking, well, they're lurking somewhere, right? They're about to appear. And and it's interesting because... And he's dead. There's a dead body there with Ethan White. Yeah. Maybe the future person says, oh, well, send Ethan White. Yeah, yeah. 
I'm looking at his corpse here. Like, yeah, yeah. Send, send that one. dude, yeah. So it's kind of like a cool sort of I was start. thinking maybe it was his dad. Because we didn't know the dad's fate. No, he we just, didn't know that at this point. He just what left happened. them and yeah. told them to go for a walk or whatever, go to yeah. where we last met or whatever and it was. And, uh, and he never turns up. So we're having some good fun and games here. He's he's kind of, you know, experimenting this world. Gets night time. He has to start a fire. There's a little bit of comedy easy in that. Peasy. Easy peasy. Oh, <laughs> Archie keeps telling him it's easy peasy. Just rub and, and it's very sort of uh, sexually connotative, it sounds rubbing, to me. Like, rubbing. rubbing, rub, rub, rub. Blow a little, blow. <laughs> what so, I liked like, about it here is the number of times I've had... You know, some problem with a bit of software, yeah, and it's just not making any sense, yeah. And you go look in the help file, and it says, "Simply press this button." Yeah, yeah. And then you go, "If it was simple, I wouldn't mm. be looking at the help yeah. files." Yeah, because well, it's, it's like step one, working. open. Step two, click on this. Step three, you're like, "But I can't find the click." You know, yes. like where do I click? Oh, but you they know? always use the phrase "simply." Yeah, yeah. And I, so I reckon <laughs> just ban that from any help thing because people are going to the help. People are saying, "Hey, Archie, how do I make fire?" Because if I knew and easy it was peasy. that simple, I wouldn't be asking you. No, that's right. So don't go telling me it's easy peasy. No, but it's a nice but little sort of thing, isn't it? Instructions. Uh, he also like gets these berries, which I straight away was like, Jesus, like you're in a rainforest. Don't eat the berries. Don't, don't eat the berries. <laughs> more and Archie can't identify them. So more things that are going to kill you in a rainforest if you eat them, then will save mm. you. <laughs> Or give you weird-ass hallucinations or something. Yeah. I, I did think it was nice that Archie couldn't identify them because I would presume scientifically, and look, if there's a botanist out there, that I'd imagine that if the Earth renews itself after we've annihilated it, there would be new types of plants, wouldn't there? There'd uh, have to be. They would, they would have new, to. Even new animals and stuff. Well, so You think that in order for them to renew and regrow, they yeah. would have to have been... You know, the, the f- survival of the fittest, the yeah, ones yeah. that were able to adapt and survive to the new conditions. Yeah. And it's only been 400 years, so it's not like 400 million years. Yeah, or that's right. Where yeah. They could have, so you're going to get something There different. may be no actual foods. Yes. Uh, yeah. Why would there be? Yeah. There didn't seem to be any complex, anything like big. No. Going around the place. No. So, And nor would the plants want to feed anything big because they'd just be trying to establish themselves. Yeah, well, I mean, to put it this way, if if he's still in Australia, which he is, we don't have large predators. No, here. no. And presumably, along with all the death of the plants, well, there goes all the cows and yeah. sheep and the kangaroos and the emus, and so there would be no large animals. Four hundred years again, not enough time to no, regrow new large to evolve animals. that way. The insects would have survived. Yeah, there's always insects. Yeah, there's always insects. And obviously, some plants somewhere managed to get their hooks and. You know, crevices somewhere into the, <laughs> the, 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 the crevices. moist crevices. <laughs> yeah, so he eats the, he eats the, the he eats the berries. He, God he, knows why, but he, he eats them, and of course he's vomiting yeah, and he has trouble, doesn't he? <laughs> and uh, this and the storm rolls in, and uh, this kind of man comes out of the sky and and sort of attacks him. That's what that's what it's kind of implied. He kind of appears and he, he kind of attacks him, but we see that it's a uh, anti venom. Yes. Um, and then, you know, as Jude then, uh, and then it is Jude, the man is Jude. Um, when he, when Ethan comes to, he, he kind of explains that on the other side, back in time, they were watching his readings and they could tell that he wasn't doing so well. Now, there's a bit of a giveaway there, isn't there? Because Archie had said, there's no communication. Mm. 
were they actually reading his readings and realizing that, or did they just did you just always be sent into the future? Yeah, I I didn't know that myself. That's why I was a bit confused because I kind of said Archie will communicate or something rather. Yeah. It was not clear to me how they would get these readings from Archie. Yeah, how was he pinging the messages back? Um, which, yeah, maybe so think, well, it's a bit suspicious that conveniently he turns up right, right at moment. the right time yeah. with a healing kit. But you'd imagine they, yeah, send it through. Hey, this is a world where they've invented a chronicle time machine, so maybe they can. Yes. Uh, after sharing their findings, they follow Archie's directions into another functional door and when they go into that it's the chronicle lab it's the time machine where they just left and um this time it's all old and there's trees and roots and branches and all that sort of stuff kind of in this lab um they ethan's they're sort of like looking at everything and then the machine they talk to archie and things are turning on but not really working and then this is where his wrist comes into play and it kind of lightens up and then he's just screaming in pain and oh, yeah, the, does a DNA test. It's, and, it's a really hardcore DNA yeah. test too, isn't it? Yes, it is. And that's when, and it turns green. So again, it's ominous that now it's turned green like he's the one skeleton. one step closer. He's one step closer. Except I always thought though, that skeleton's really old. So yeah. I would have thought from his point of view, like, you know, I would have thought Jude also we could have said, okay, yeah, maybe that's your skeleton, but look on the bright side. That skeleton's like 400 years old. Hmm. You get back to Xanthi. Hmm. Um, we don't know how old you are when you get shot. That's right. You could very well have, you know, like a, a, a reasonable life. Who knows? But surely you also wouldn't be on the same time loop because it is so old. Yeah. I mean, well, it, like it you can't have you come that far into the future, right? Like you must have gone something different. Yeah, you comes back because then he's seen him as a skeleton he hasn't come in at 400 years and then he's like just been shot in the head and it's no, just him that's, that's what I mean what that skeleton represents is that he does get back yeah to you know some previous time yeah a long time ago because like I said there's plants and stuff growing through that skeleton yeah and he's so brittle he just snaps his wrist and stuff so yeah on the on the plus side it means you're not stuck here in the future yeah <laughs> uh, we'll worry about the whole not getting shot when we get back. How about why we do that? So I think that's when he does have the flashback and he it's his birthday and the father gives him the pain box. Put your hand in there, son. <laughs> All right. No oh, worries, crikey. Dad. Oh, crikey, Dad. <laughs> you fucked me wrist up. <laughs> and then now I'm just going to fuck off back to work, he says. Uh, yeah, I'm going back to work now. Sorry, son. You you'll, just needed you'll to understand do this. later. You'll understand that you needed to see this as proof or something, you know? Um, uh, we also see that the there's a holographic. Because he starts playing his father's sort of messages. Yes. Day one of using the Chronicle, inventing the Chronicle. And they realise that it's... Um, they did it and they sent a machine into the future to see when Earth would be breathable again and functional for humans um, and that he would send his own son into the future. Um, and so that's the whole point of like setting up the wrist analyzers that his son is the only one that can kind of unlock the machine in the future. 
Yeah, a bit of an insurance policy. Because, and, and he explains it later on. He says, I, he does. I hope you think that, I hope you realise that I did all this, you know, because I do care about you. It's sort of like a, a kind of a, a rather weak apology, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. And he, they, But then he realised the father says, we were going to then scrap that whole idea because when we sent matter, we couldn't actually bring it back. Because it was you needed the other end to be alive. Yeah, the other end needs to be turned on yeah. in order to complete a link. Yes. Yes. Um, but all of this has because of his wrist and everything. They, he has turned on the machine, and uh, what's going on is then the then they're notified that the power source of the machine, the nuclear power core, is now malfunctioning, oh, which yes. makes sense because it hasn't been operational for four hundred years. So. And- it was malfunctioning often enough. That yeah, they back were in the day. So happy to, to work down to the last second. Yes. So Jude is. Yeah, I'm, I'm a bit surprised. They see Jude seems to freak out a bit over this now. Whereas, like at the start of the film, they weren't too freaky. About it. But I guess it's because they're thinking, "What's well, the only way back? Is yeah, we need I, that power I think source." They've got no backup. As it's not a routine anymore. No. And, and off they go. They, they've got this yeah, literal time countdown timer. Yeah, there's a timer. Yeah, like, yeah. yeah. Most films have some kind of time limit imposed mm. to get the whole thing wrapped up. Yep. Because uh, I mean, we did uh, Edge of Tomorrow, and yeah. they, the the countdown time really was the fact that uh, first of all, he had to get it sorted out because if it didn't, tomorrow they'd be invading the UK and the world would end. Yeah. And then the it hastened. I suppose you might say the countdown timer hastened when he lost his. Repeatability. Well, it also hastened because it, the guy said the rule that the once he starts seeing the images, it, the alien was finding him as well, wasn't yes. it? And so, like, it, it wouldn't take long. Once the alien found him, it would be all over, basically, because yeah. it would kill him in another way, you know? Yeah. And so... Which, which it tried to. Which it so, tried so to. So we yeah. get that, that count on time. This is a literal... In three yeah. hours and fifteen. In three hours, minutes, the world blows up. Yeah. The yeah this this thing. If you don't get it fixed, this is going to blow. Up. In fact, if you do get it fixed, this is going to turn on. Yeah. So one way or the other, something mm-hmm. momentous is going to happen at the end of that town. So to me, that was a real clear midpoint of the story mm-hmm. because it's like there's no more fun and games now. You've got two options: you either fix the machine mm-hmm. and you then get the option to travel back. And save your butts, or you don't fix the machine in three hours, whatever yeah, it was, and you die. Like we've, everyone we've dies. We stopped the exploration part yeah. of the movie. Now story. it's serious time. Now we've got the definite end point we have yeah. to achieve. Yes, we don't know how we're going to achieve it, or exactly what's going to happen. Yep. But and this is also a bit of a negative because things are, are worse. So even in this world where you're not too sure, like he's thinking I'm going to die, whatever. But it's like. Oh crap! Now we've got three hours to make the decision of what we're going to do here. Yes. You know, so now your time frame is in play. Things are actually getting worse. We haven't really we've explored this beautiful jungle. We're together. We maybe maybe we can't save the world, but maybe we could stay. And I think that's even a thing, doesn't it? Jude says we could just stay here. Like we we could just stay here. Like I came here for you to look after you. We we could forget about that other planet, the past, and just live here. Bit of a bleak ending, though, isn't it? Yeah, like, that was it. I mean, sure. Like, sure, Jude, I like you that much. I like you, but I don't know if I like you that much. Also, we can't really restart the human race. I, I should talk to you about biology here. <laughs> yeah. We can't start the human race. Yeah. Sorry. So, <laughs> they make it to the power core, which is located underneath this overgrown ruins 
of the city. As I mentioned before, this to me, there's a scene here that's a really amazing scene that, uh, yeah, they come out of the jungle, you, there's a big waterfall, there's a great big epic shot, and you sort of see skyscrapers leaning over, some collapsed, uh, some overgrown with trees, and there's a really big epic, you know, you can see what's happened to this city, and I really liked that. Uh, but then on top of that, as they walk through that, then they walk through that city looking for where this power core is, they... um. There's skeletons everywhere. So and and, and they're, they're not being buried. They're just sitting there on the street. Leaning up against some the have masks, some don't. Um, some are just kind of like you know lying there. Uh, and it's obvious that it's kind of like the more you look into the city, there's just skeleton, skeleton, skeleton. Um, which means everyone kind of just died. They probably just all ran out of oxygen at once. Um, and so it's more again, it's more telling. Like it's the situation is getting worse and worse, really, isn't it? That yeah. they, that if they don't do something, the past and, is dead. And it's adding to that mystery of what what on earth could they like? The past is dead. Is is that really the end? And mm. I was I was trying to think of what how this story is going to get out of that. Like, yeah, is it it didn't strike me as a sort of story that literally was a march to de- doom. Yeah, like, yeah, this wasn't a horror film. No, this it didn't feel like that. Did like it? a. a, a creeping dread this was yeah. something was going to have to happen and i was thinking is it going to be that uh xanthic or someone comes through yeah. the portal to him or he goes back and finds out that they are the ones back in the past who managed mm. i was trying yeah. to come up with how to do it and i was like, then i was also wondering well maybe it's gonna be like a like a back to the future situation where you can alter timelines mm. you know like yeah. And then when he finds Xanthi's body in the classroom, mm. holding that little metal flower, yeah, that, oh, that broke my heart. It's and it, like, she's written on it, "You never came back." Yeah, I, I wish you were here. I wish you were here. Yeah, yeah. yeah and and that's, that's just that breaks him. And, and yeah, he and Jude had a bit of a tension. We get the gun shown, yeah. which which is important because it's like okay, it's a good old uh, Chekhov's gun. And he's got a few things. I think this old Chekhov fella, but. The gun is one of them. We mm. already know that there's a bullet hole in the skull. Yeah. And so now we know where the gun might come from. Yeah, and Jude is, is saying, you know, I've come here for you and to save you and help you, and yet he's the one with the gun. Yes, and I, in, I need this to protect you. And I yeah. kept thinking, then from what? There's no one here. Chuck it. Yeah. Because, yeah, you, if you chuck it, then mm. how could you get sh- shot? You know, like it doesn't make sense. But anyway... But they make it anyway to the uh, the room where the power machine is. There's kind of a bit of escalating that they can't turn it off. It's too, you know, it's whatever. It's erring in too bad of ways. And um, Ethan says, well, the only way is to kind of be in the room and go over the fail safe and then manually override it. Jude doesn't like that, but he kind of, you know, pushes him out of the way and the doors lock and then he's in there. And I think it runs out of oxygen, doesn't yeah, it? The it room just, does. just in time, and and he, he still, but he pulls the lever, and and then it, the machine resettles itself, yeah, and the power I, kind I of settles. I suspect that engineers don't design these things like no, that. No, no. It, it's like I think it's just like once it goes past a certain point, you can't fix it. No, that's because right. if it was fixable, then some engineer would have made a button that you can push that would fix it. Yes. Otherwise, yeah. like, why would you make it so you had to close the door? And it was, but you know, it was damaged. It yeah. was in the future. It was old. It wasn't really the point. It, it was already hodgy podge together. Say, yeah, the yeah. failsafes weren't working no. properly. Whatever. Yeah. I did find it amusing though that it's it's like James Bond. You always have the 
uh, like the sauna where it goes up to the dangerous <laughs> yeah. red level or the, or the exercise machine that you can put the yeah. dial around. And it's like, why is there a level 11? Why, why is there a death level? Why do you have the, the dangerous <laughs> setting on yeah, what yeah. is clearly not supposed to be a killing machine? Yeah, yeah. But, you know, it's, you never question it. And, and I didn't question no, it. No, I didn't question it either. So with 37 minutes to spare, the doer return back to the Chronicle lab. Um, Ethan finds another door and he opens it and it's the entranceway next to his skeleton. So it's sort of him starting to put the pieces of the jigsaw together that, Mm. hang on a minute, there's a voice recording of two men arguing and then I get shot. There's you and I here, sorry. And I've got a gun. And you've got a gun. And the doorway is there, so it's not looking too promising or it's looking a bit obvious of maybe that Jude is the one that shoots me. So then why would Jude shoot me? And then so he confronts Jude and this is where Jude actually reveals that you can't change the past. No. You, you, there's no hope. Like no matter what you do now, you can't actually change it. The only thing we could do is like kind of live here and and be free and have the oxygen and you chose to come here. There's no going back. We we should just sort of set up shop. But again, it's, it's I don't know what you're going to eat either because it's not like you're highly skilled. Like if I was dumped out in a rainforest somewhere, I would also not know what to eat. No. Because I said, there's no big animals around. Stop taking your pants off, sorry. Yeah, it doesn't I'm, help in the jungle, you know. Well, that's all I've got. You know, I'd eat my pants. <laughs> um, he has a look at um, playing back more of his father's log and the the computer log, the video log, and he and he learns of the day that his father died. Mm, um, and there's Jude. And there is Jude's Jude is in the room. So we get that um that he learns that yeah, Jackson, the bad lady running the com- company that kind of like, you know, his father defended the machine, said we can't use it. It's not really gonna work with matter. Um, and then she's kind of double-crossed him with the new scientist and with that, shoots him. Bang. And then hands over Jude to look after the son. Yes. You know, you kind of keep an eye out on him from here. So, yeah, it's all kind of the drama's played out to that point and also that explains that why his father just sort of one day disappeared, yeah, yeah. never came home yeah, or whatever. So I was still up to that point thinking that, his dad was going to re-enter this story. Me too, yeah. Because I, I was like, he, he went away and then I was thinking, okay, so he's jumped through yeah, and he's going to be Stuck in the future and he'll be the guy know. in the future that asks for his son or something like that, I yeah. But this kind of, well, throws that away, doesn't it? It does. Um, yeah, so Jack's, uh, yeah, no, we did that. Um, Ethan then tries to shut the Chronicle down. Um, but Jude moves in to stop him. And this is sort of like moving into a bit of the, you know, that idea of the dark night of the soul part. Like that things are kind of, for Ethan, you know, we've gone through, the machine is fixed. Should we go back? He's told that there's no hope, so it doesn't really matter if you go back. Um, He's also learnt how his father died. Brush of death. Uh, There's been a brush of death. He's also realising that, he's probably going to be shot by Jude. So it's all looking pretty bad. And Jude and him argue. And they basically, he, Jude wants to fight him, doesn't he? He wants to physically, he's like, fight me, fight me. Yes, you he, know, so he's, he's he, trying to, well, he, he's, 
I think Jude at this point is, is quite conflicted because I think he was of the opinion that he would be in on this and the whole time he's trying to find a way, I think, of getting Ethan to be able to stay with him. Yeah. And so I, I was thinking at this point, the reason Jude had the gun was because he knew that Jackson and her cohort were coming through. Yeah. And so he needed the gun to protect it because he kept saying, I've got the gun, I need to protect you. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. need to protect you. And you know, the whole time you're going, from what? Yeah. And it's sort of revealed there that Jackson's coming through. Uh, Ethan sent back, they sent Ethan White. And they're going to have this, this, this argy-bargy, you, you you kill me, you know, and they see the recording on Archie, you know, he swaps the batteries over. Yeah. And, yeah, Jude sort of gets they, pissed off. He's like, you know, you're ruining all of these plans, which the plans were that, we, you know, we were going to stay living here and Jackson's going to come through, but I was going to protect you from yeah. Jackson. And, and that's and, what he sort of also, like, he's saying, but, it's, you know, you can see here you shoot me. And he's like, well, I'm not going to shoot you. You're like, I'm, not, I'm here to protect you. Yeah. And I think that's what kind of causes that fight, doesn't it? Is it's like... Don't believe the video recording. Like, why do you have the gun? Why do you have the gun? Well, it's here to protect you from when she's coming. You know, she's coming through the machine. Yeah, so they do. They have their fight, and it it plays out much like it's interesting because they saw a video footage of the fight. Yeah, and it starts playing like that. Except, you know, this can't be the fight because the guy he he got shot back in the past, not in the present. So I was starting to have a bit of hope here, which Mm. is odd. And I didn't know how it was going to plan out. But yes, at the very, very last minute, uh, Jude, Jude shoots himself, shoots himself in yeah. the head. Yeah. And thus, demonstrates free will. He does. It's like, this can no longer occur the way you think it's going to occur. Mm. Or could it? Because here's the little trick, I think. At the last moment, like Jackson's on the other side, it's all firing up. They've got the lineup of people ready to go through. And she tells the security guard, okay, look, if, if Ethan White comes through here, you know, pop a cap in his skull. Yep. And we'll all go through and it'll be, it won't really matter after that anyway. Yeah. And yeah. the guard kind of goes, yeah, okay. Because he's, he's pretty desperate, I would suggest. Yeah. Which, again, I'm sort of thinking, okay, that's actually how he dies. He yeah, does yeah. come back mm. and then Gets he shot. tries to run out that uh, door or something mm. where it was a scuffle and he's taken over and was shot in the head. Yeah, yeah. And that would be how he dies. But yeah. He sees a different way. Hmm. And finally, it, it opens up, and instead of Ethan coming through, we get a cornucopia of <laughs> plant life. It, we do. It really looks like a cornucopia, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a very beautiful little package. And, oh, De- Debbie, she's not happy. She's not happy, no. She's going, oh, we were going to oh, go through there to the future. And, uh yeah. She's and now it says you've saved the world. Mm. But it's interesting because it hasn't spoiled their future. No. So from Deborah's point of view, their future has plant life in it. Yes. And oxygen. Okay, yep. well, that means this plant life here, seed that, find it, it is able to survive in these new conditions, mm. whatever they happen to be. And yeah, now you get that future where there's plant. Yep. So yep. from there point of view in the past the future the past hasn't changed the future hasn't changed it's actually yeah. still consistent yes the whole thing is consistent because Ethan went he sent the message back mm. so from the past they still see the message got sent back yep they do Ethan went and then bingo bongo it's trees and greenery mm. 
So that was that was quite nice. It was, and he um, also transmits a recording to the news station oh. of Jackson killing his father. So she's sort of arrested and you know dealt with that way. Uh, and then in that future, he destroys the Chronicle. Um, so he sort of destroys the machine so that they would never be able to reconnect to it or communicate to it. Um, and Xanthia has given a special little flower in a box from him. Which is as close to being back with her as he could make. Yes. Um, nice. And then what's interesting, this is the, you know, the time loop scenario that you're saying, is that then he goes out and his corpse is no longer there. No, he's, he's done the, the, like I said, Back to the Future yeah, photograph photo fading thing. Yeah. business going on there. So the corpse is gone, um, which is good, which is nice. And then he goes and buries Jude. Yeah, and he, he, I think he gets a bit of hope from that, of course. Yeah, oh, of course. Maybe, he, maybe, he goes he back okay. to the moist crevice, which is where the city was. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, we get the same pan, slow panning shot. And I remember sitting there going, Hurry up, come on, I want to see what it is, I want to see, I want to see. Yeah, yeah. Is it now just going to be a green garden? Yeah. Or is it going to be a, a ruined city or, or a, like a, a mold room. an actual city? Yeah. And sure enough, it reveals it's like an elven city, if yeah. you like. With yeah. old trees and stuff. People have clearly learnt their lesson and mm. have figured out a way of of working with working what they with, have. Yeah, working with nature and stuff. They're living in these big sort of skyscrapers that are shaped like trees, which is cool. And that's it. That's the end. That's how it ends. Fin. The fini. Okay, so that is our main narrative plot points. And it's a nice kind of end because he's, yeah, the world is restored, isn't it? So it's the opposite to the start. Yes, it's it's pretty much bright. It's airy. It's green. It's green. It's not desperate looking. Yeah. Uh, yeah, there's no dark tunnels and mouldy yeah. city streets. So it is. It's a nice opposite as a place because the start of the film is a place, a location. So, yeah, opposites of the start at the end. All right, so then we move on to our ladder. So our ladder is recommending to you guys out there, you know, an order of how you should watch things, um, you know, start at the number one and work your way down to the, the bottom one. It's obviously an uh, ever-evolving ladder because... Uh, we watch a film every couple of weeks and talk about it. Uh, and this isn't necessarily ordering them in best to worst or anything like that. It's ordering them in a viewing sort of list. So whereabouts have you put 2067 on your ladder? Sorry. Well, I liked the synergies this has with the beyond. Mm. Uh, but I, I didn't want to put it there because I was also like, I've got After Earth next to the beyond. Mm. And I think... It's a little bit similar, isn't it, to Afterlife? There's a bit of flow on. uh, Sometimes I choose things to try and get some high contrast. Mm. This is a a synergistic trilogy here Mm. of 2067, After Earth, which is where Will Smith and his son uh, come back to Earth after it was destroyed by humans and aliens having a bitch fight or something. (laughs) Uh, And then the Beyond, which again was where the Earth was threatened to be destroyed, by um, you know, cosmic forces, mm. aliens. Yeah, so I, that I'm putting in there. I think I think it makes for a good thing. I, I don't know that you can do a marathon viewing of all of these. You have to take you a week or so of watching. But why not? But you can pick out duologies, one-offs, trilogies, yeah, short sequences, and that's my sequence. What about you? 
Fair enough. Um, for me, it's going further down the rungs, but I'm putting it uh, under Shanghai Fortress and above IO. So I think there's a little bit of similarities again that Shanghai's sort of in the future, the weather's been disruptive and also with and it's the last IO. City, yeah. yeah, yeah. And also with IO being that she was the last as ecological disaster. Yeah, again. Yeah. So I think that there there's a bit of a similarity going on between those ones. Yeah. Yeah. So I would place awesome. it in there. I think if you sort of yeah, if you're watching them day by day or, you know, a bit of a marathon, those three would work quite well together, I think. So, sorry. What, and anyway, if you're out there and you, you've got your own ladder going on, let us know what you think. Tell us on social media what you thought about R, where we've positioned it on the ladder and, and what works for you. What about the science, sorry? Are you going to tell me that you have built a chronicle time machine or are you going to tell me how we solve climate change? I will have going to have told you about You've already my told time me. machine. <laughs> I will be going to have done already. Mm. So I like it. Yeah, I, I don't know how that works out, but we're just going to have to go with it. Yeah, no, I like the idea of that. Well, we swear about time machines. Time machines are fantastic. <laughs> the, there's, there is a program here on Earth to save uh, plants in case they go extinct. Yep. We've got a vault in Iceland which has got all the seeds that could be saved, paying particular attention to, first of all, like diversity and usefulness to humans. Yeah. Because you do have the issues where you get, uh, for example, the moment banana crops, uh, they're all the same banana. There's, there's like three bananas I think we grow. Yep. And one of them is the one that we use commercially, which is the Cavendish banana, which is the one you're going to look at. We've got a couple slight variants on that. You've got mm-hmm. tall ones, short ones, fat ones, skinny ones. Yeah. Uh, but they're all the same genus. So all of our banana plantations, there's a virus which is running rampant amongst them. Oh, no. And it is destroying the banana crops, basically. Uh, it's believed that not too long away, we're just not going to be able to grow that banana anymore. Mm. Like It's just not going to be viable profitable this disease will be in everything because the bananas are a zygote zygote yes rhizome sorry not zygote. are a rhizome so they're like a grass uh like cooch and they have like this root system which grows spurs from which sprout these banana leafy they're not really proper trees they're sort of leaf mm. bundles with the flowers on it mm. which means that you see a, a plantation of bananas and they're all more or less the same banana. Yeah. Like that's the one plant. You get one of them infected with a disease and yeah, you can pretty much say mm. goodbye to your plantation. Mm. I'm not going to talk about that. Despite oh, no. having just spoken about it. You made me feel like a banana now as well. I want to talk about oxygen because the it, big premise here was uh, ran out of oxygen due to plant life mm. all dying. So there's yeah. a few questions. How much oxygen do we have in the mm. air? Uh, it's about 21%, 20 to 21%, depending on how you want to count it and what time of year you look mm-hmm. and whereabouts you go. How much do we need? Uh, probably about 18%, 16% if you want to stay marginally conscious. Mm-hmm. Uh, but 21% is where you want to be. Yeah. Where does all of that oxygen come from? Would logging the last tree in the rainforest really make much difference? Yeah, because many moons ago, I 
heard the ocean creates oxygen. Is that correct? That is correct. The ocean yeah. is probably about 50 to 80% of the Earth's oxygen mm. is created in the ocean. Right. In particular, there is one small species of um, bacteria, if you like, one, mm-hmm. one, one microorganism called Prochlorococcus. It's the smallest photosynthetic organism, mm. and it produces uh, up to about 20% of the, uh, the oxygen in the entire biosphere. Yeah, right. So, mind you, though, that means if we've got one organism representing such a large percentage, mm. what if a disease or some condition, off. say global warming or something changes, the acidity yeah. in the ocean changes, and you get a mass die-off? Mm. Well, we could have a dip in oxygen. So that's a bit of a worry. So I had a little bit further into that and, and going, well, what about the realities of the realities of losing our plants and our oxygen and so forth. So what we had here is we've got how do we generate oxygen if we do? Mm. And we are studying this, not because we're worried about losing oxygen here on Earth, but if we go to Mars or the yeah. Moon or you know, long-term in space or anything like that, we need to generate oxygen. We can't lug enough of it around. We, do, we, do we even really want to take that much oxygen from Earth and transport it to Mars in order mm. to make Mars livable? Like that seems like robbing from Peter to pay Richard Branson. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Richard, I know you're not really a bad guy. You're probably quite nice, in fact. Yeah. But anyway, so uh, a former Caltech postdoctoral fellow, Yung Shi Yao, please, that's probably not really how you pronounce it, but I'm a Westerner, so it's as close as I'm going to get. And a current Caltech chemical engineer, Professor Konstantinos uh, Giapis, they have simulated a reaction whereby they smack carbon dioxide into stuff. Smack, smack. To release oxygen. Because <laughs> you're looking at like um, Mars, and the mm. atmosphere of Mars does have molecular oxygen in it. Yeah. And a lot of carbon dioxide relative to its density. It's a very low-density atmosphere. But so where's it, where does it come from? And they're going, well, one way to do that, it was thought UV light, and that doesn't work out. Like there's not enough of it. Yeah, right. So they went and got this gold foil, and gold foil is special because it doesn't oxidize. Like gold is is uh, very, very stable. Mm-hmm. It's used. It's very hard to dissolve gold, for example. And they shot a whole heap of carbon dioxide at real hard, yeah. like about the speed of a comet. And they found that what would happen, and we've got this little animation of it there, is basically the carbon dioxide hits, and it smacks together and twists and the oxygens bump into each other and oxygens will bond to one another to make O2. They will share electrons yeah, quite right. strongly. And there's enough energy that the carbon just gets popped off. Mm. So you end up with carbon dropping out and free oxygen molecules. Mm. And that's kind of interesting. that They've got this reactor where they can turn carbon dioxide into O2. Mm. It's tremendously inefficient and totally impractical for any real uses but it does demonstrate that that you can break uh, oxygen away using say electrolysis Mm. where you introduce a whole bunch of electricity and that gives enough energy for 
the uh, oxygen atoms to break away and, and we do this with water to generate hydrogen and oxygen yeah. which is why I'm surprised they had so much trouble because like a fusion reactor there you just need some water and then you've got all the oxygen you could want but clearly I think this part of the sickness in the movie was I think part of the concept of the sickness is that the air itself there's something something is broken something's going wrong yeah something's broken yeah, yeah. such that yeah you can you can make oxygen but it's it's not uh, it's not coming out right. You've got to get mm. the high quality oxygen, which would be, you know, the highly filtered the stuff, the stuff that they sort of pump out and distribute. Clearly, gets contaminated. Yeah, and this is causing the sickness. So I, I won't pick holes in that. <laughs> but yes, yeah, so they had this this nice nice idea that you could accelerate things through carbon dioxide atmosphere. So what if you dislodged dust from various you know um, places around the world the the solar system mm. shot it at mars yep. you could actually have it just start bombarding and start creating uh free oxygen right? yeah maybe yeah. it's certainly worth looking at now for the doomsday scenario mm. so there dun, dun. will there is coming a time where on earth all plant life will become extinct. Mm. Oxygen will be all used up, being replaced by carbon dioxide, and large life as we know it, anything other than microbes, becomes impossible. Yep. <sighs> oh, yeah. And it is 2060... Se- no, it's not 2060. <laughs> it's about a billion years from now. Right. So we've got a bit of time to plan for it. It's okay. Uh, it's, basically, what's going to happen here is... We're going to go from about 20-21% oxygen mm-hmm. and then you're going to get a sort of a runaway cascade effect which is going to reduce that. Mm. So Kazumi Ozaki at Toho University in Funabashi, Japan and Chris Reinhardt at the George Institute of Technology in Atlanta, they modeled the Earth's climate, biological and geological systems to predict how atmospheric conditions on Earth will change. Mm. And so what they had to look at, we've got about a billion years for the high levels of oxygen before it starts changing back to what the Earth was like about 2.4 billion years ago. Right. Very low oxygen. The central Hello, reason... No. Hello, Diego. The central reason for this shift is the sun. The sun's going to get older, it gets a little bit hotter, and it releases a bit more energy. And as it releases a bit more of that energy, it starts to decrease the amount of carbon dioxide in the atmosphere as COD, as the CO2 actually absorbs that energy. We know it's mm. a greenhouse gas. It does that yeah, yeah. and breaks down. This sounds good. Okay, carbon dioxide is going to break down to oxygen. That's freaking fantastic. Why yeah. are we worried about that? <sighs> Unfortunately, plants produce oxygen from carbon dioxide. Mm. And that's where the vast majority of our oxygen comes from, yep. is these plants. So if they have no carbon dioxide or insufficient, the plants suffocate. <clears throat> yeah. And then when the plants suffocate, there's this really sad thing about rotting decay, and uh, you know, whether it be plant or animal, mm. is it uses oxygen and produces carbon dioxide. <laughs> so you, if you get this... If you get this tipping point where there's enough energy coming from the sun screwing up the carbon dioxide, mm. everything dies and gets suffocated, and then it uses up all the oxygen. 
in its decomposition. Yeah, so it drowns itself. So it, it drowns itself and then we all end up dead. Yep. Because it's a billion years from now, we'll all be dead robots anyway. or you know energy-like beings or dead. <laughs> so or, or we'll have colonised multiple planets and it's yeah. just, God knows, you know, a billion years is an unfathomable length of yeah. time. It's, you know, and if I had a dollar for every year that there was a billion in, in a billion years... I still wouldn't be able to fund the space mission. <laughs> <laughs> we keep coming back to it. Sorry, guys. We do. It's topical. It's science fiction. <laughs> Tell you the truth, I'd be on one of those spaceships in a heartbeat for a joyride if I could afford it too. Yeah. Before I gave it to the salvos. <laughs> or maybe I'd auction it. And, then, and no, we won't go into that. So I I think that that's two sizes. So we've got one side. We can make oxygen from mm-hmm. carbon dioxide. But eventually, yes, the Earth will get into a runaway situation and suffocate. And you just got to look at, say, for example, Venus, which is a bit closer to the sun, has a bit more energy. It has a runaway greenhouse. There's no life there. Yeah. Certainly, uh, there might be weird alien bacteria that we don't know about, but it's Mm. nothing we can discover. Yeah. Nothing we can use. Yeah, right. So there you go. It's a bit of gloom, but that's okay. Yeah. A billion years. So I suppose it could be plausible by 2067 if we accelerate that, I suppose. Well, that's the thing is if you do get a a mass die-off, if you introduce into the environment conditions that, for example, is is deadly to that um, polyococcus, whatever, that little bug that, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's responsible yeah. for like 20%. Yeah, so if we killed that off. And the problem is you get that double effect. So when you kill that off, it's no longer producing oxygen, but it also absorbs oxygen yeah. as it rots. So does that use up 40% of and, our oxygen? And you could get sort of a bit of a runaway effect there mm. where, uh, you know, where you do, you know, and you do get that in the ocean. There's dead zones in the ocean yeah, yeah, where yeah. you'll have an algal bloom which yeah. will produce a, you know, ironically will produce a lot of oxygen. Yeah. But then because it just covers the whole area and sucks up all the nutrients, it dies off in a big way. Mm. And so then now it's covering uh, the sunlight. So it can't, the sunlight can't penetrate down into yeah, the depths yeah, to yeah. do any life down there. Yeah. And it rots, which sucks up the oxygen yes. and suffocates all the fish. So you, you do get these, these dead zones in mm. rivers, there are lakes that just suddenly die off for the same yeah, reason. Like yeah, they get yeah. uh, industrial runoff or, or um, yep, 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 yep. fertilizer runoff. They bloom. The lorax again, the lorax again. They, they bloom, <laughs> suffocate, everything yeah. dies, and they've got to replenish the fish stocks and reseed with, with things. Mm. Yeah. So quite possible, entirely possible. I do like that sort of plausibility. The, the time machine process also... It's, I mean, obviously, this it seems like an unusual and unlikely process, but the way they use it as kind of this point to point yeah, from yeah. now into the future. I like that, yeah. That, that, you know, we can go into the future. We do. That's the way we travel is mm. into the future. Mm-hmm. So could we uh, travel at a faster pace through the future by connecting these wormholes? You know, that's that would be, that's sort of one of those theorized yeah possibilities regards to how improbable it is which again is what 2067 i think really is it's a what if you know it's a it's a writer 
who's sitting there and going, well, what if we allow the climate to disintegrate? You know, like yeah. what we're, so, and I mean, as you know, as a writer as well, it's kind of like we say, take your protagonist to the worst case scenario. That's what he's done here. He's, he's taken the right, he's taken his character and gone, okay, well, worst case scenario is sometime in the future we have no oxygen. That would be the worst case scenario. Uh, and his entire family's dead yeah. and his wife is dying. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and his friends betrayed him. And well, that's what the else, what detail. Else can, what else can we... Like, yeah, but it is... We'll send him into the future and then there's a dead version of him in the future. Because <laughs> there's no point in sort of saying, uh, we'll send him in a world where sometime in the future the oxygen's going to run out. Mm, yeah, I know. It, and that, that's you know, the whole thing. Your thing, you're saying there, yeah. oh, well, naturally in a billion years the Earth will run out of oxygen. <laughs> it doesn't make much of a movie, does it? <laughs> because like, well, a billion years is a long way. It was a long time away. Exactly what, you know, mm. is it... That clock we're talking about, you know, the clock in the narrative, three hours to nuclear explosion where you die and the machine dies. Yeah, okay, you got to get your skates on, boys. Fix the problem. Hey, you got a billion years. Yeah, okay. Well, I'm, 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 I'm going to go do other things. Like honestly, well, let's, not, let's not worry about. Let's this not worry about it. <laughs> and that is the it's that analogy of putting the frog in hot water, isn't it? Which is a good analogy for climate change as well. Is that we can we can kind of dismiss a lot of climate change because we kind of are the frog in hot water. You know, we're, we're slowly and, boiling. And it is fair enough. As, as I said, there's, I don't think there's much room for genuine skeptics anymore. Now people yeah. are just kind of digging their heels in to be awkward. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the people who, you know, cause you, you've got a bell curve distribution. You've got the people at the, at the bleeding edge. Yes. Who, as soon as they, they see the global warming, they go, yes, that is definitely going to be true. Yeah. The problem is they, they're saying that with a bit of a leap of faith at that point. Yeah, yeah. There's not enough evidence. But as the evidence builds, you get, you know, you're climbing up that bell curve until you've got the majority of people now going, oh, yeah, look, it's clearly true. Mm-hmm. You know, it must be. Yep. And then you get the tail off people, the bottom, you know, the, the last, you know, 0.5% mm. who, who just, it's it's not actually about whether it's true or not. It's not actually about the, the, any facts or details mm. like that it's just they, they just know yeah it's not going to happen it's not it's not real that's uh, exactly right whether that be you know they secretly believe it is real but have taken a position and they're very stubborn in their position yeah or if it's just the case that their view on reality requires that they don't believe it to be real because if mm. that were to be real, then these other things would also be real. Yeah, and why not? And we don't want that. So, no. and we're we're seeing this same situation with the whole COVID nineteen vaccine situation. So, which I you don't I don't even want to get started on that. But it's that it's that same thing. You've explained it well there. The bell distribution. You're going to have the pro. You know, have the super pro people. You're going to have the people looking at sort of actual trying to figure out evidence and make a critical decision or, mm. you know, a logical decision on the evidence that you can look at. And of course, then you curve off to people that are going to and you, you want to hope throw a pot plant at a police officer about having been getting vaccinated, you know, and you want to hope that the, the, the bulk of that bell curve mm. passes fast enough. Yeah. And, and the, with the climate change, we want to hope that we now have enough people who are, uh, if not absolutely convinced, mm. they're at least believe that it's still worthwhile making the place better. Yeah, it's, let's still just make the earth have better atmosphere. Let's yeah. reduce pollution because that's just a good thing. Yeah, and it, 
this, this global warming, maybe we can, maybe we can't do anything about it. It's probably real, but let's just be do something good. And we're yeah. hoping we've got enough of that yeah. early enough. Yeah. Or we're going to be in 2067 making time machines. <laughs> which has its perks, I suppose. Yeah. I think Muskie will invent one of those machines anyway, won't he? Yeah, so we can go back in time and beat Richard to <laughs> space. Right. Um, well, he's the, his agenda, sorry, we've really gone on about it. His agenda is to go to Mars, isn't it? That, that's yeah, what he really wants to do. That's pretty good. But anyway. I'd love to go to Mars at some point. Yeah. So let's talk about, that brings us to the end for 2067. Great Aussie sci-fi. I am again, you know, these sci-fi movies that are coming out of Australia, sorry, I'm glad that we've sort of looked for them and we've seen a few of them now and and there's yeah, some really good ones up. there, you know, Cargo, um, uh, uh, Other Worlds, yeah, I Am Mother. I am mother. Um, so, you know, there's a bunch in there now that we've looked at in our 63 episodes. So look out for them. Take a note. They're a little bit different in their own way. And, yeah, this one, visually, aesthetically, I think anyone that's interested in that sort of style, the narrative is also really interesting, as we were just saying, to push a character to the extremes. This is a good example of that. And I also think it's a really great example of a what-if um, sort of premise, taking something that we have in our current society and and just pushing it, pushing it out, Down you know. Yeah, and questioning what would happen if this happened. So let us know what you thought about what we thought about 2067. And, uh, yeah, hit us up on all of our avenues, Facebook, uh, Instagram, Twitter, our website, YouTube, anywhere. Message in a bottle. <laughs> yeah. Uh, send a message from the future back I'd, on a little flower. And I'd love, I'd love to hear what next week's episode is, but I, I feel so sort of a little bit sleepy. It's, it's, it's you're very it's, tired. But yes, this film is actually telling you that you will never sleep again. Sorry, it's called Awake. Awake. I'm awake. 2021 it's brand new uh, it is available on netflix so if you're if you're out there netflix we're giving you another promotion i do want to get you on the show um but yeah awake is the new sleep <laughs> ben lee ben lee song awake um no this sleep. film is just called awake and i don't know much more about it apart from what you just said i think it's a world where people one night can't sleep no one in the world can sleep anymore so it sounds pretty interesting. So we'll be checking that out and having a good deep dive on it next time. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.